Dear God, I'm sad. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Dear God, I'm Sad podcast. It's your host, Gabby Wilkinson, and happy Monday. So uh, this week, I got to sit down with the one and only Maddie Schulfield. Wait, I need to find out if that's how you even pronounce her name. Give me a second. Okay, so I thought I was going to be able to find something where her last name is said in a video and I have not found anything so Maddie so sorry if I pronounce your last name wrong I'm just gonna keep calling you Maddie so Maddie is the writer and editor of Anxious Faith which is a production of Our Daily Bread Ministries Our Daily Bread Ministries helps millions of people connect with God each day for more than 75 years their purpose has remained the same to reach people with the life-changing wisdom of the Bible So out of this ministry was birthed Anxious Faith, which was born out of the need to address the growing mental health crisis in Australia. They have a phenomenal podcast called the Anxious Faith Podcast. They also like write things about mental health awareness. They write prayers. They write a ton of stuff. And they have an incredible social media presence that encourages people who are suffering with mental health problems and help educate other people who might not be suffering from a mental health challenge firsthand, but who know people who are and teaches them how to best come alongside those people, teaches them about mental health challenges, and really is just working on this relationship between mental illness and the church. So it's based out of Australia, actually, which is really cool. So that means Dear God, I'm Sad went international for the second time. And uh, Maddie's accent is actually really incredible. And we actually, in the end, we actually end up talking about some, like, differences between Australian culture and uh, American culture. And it's really funny. I really enjoyed editing this one. And so with Maddie, I talked to her about her role at Anxious Faith, but we also mostly, again, just talked about her story and her experiences with suicide, self-harm, depression, and the church. So yeah, I called this episode, Dear God, I Want to Live, because to me, listening to Maddie, so much of her experience was coming to a point in her life where she decided life and she decided to live because of different things she experienced through God and through the church and within the Holy Spirit working within herself and so I really I really 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 enjoyed my conversation with Maddie I'm really excited for you to listen and so for this episode the trigger warnings and content warnings are suicide depression anxiety and self-harm And before we get to the episode, two things on the agenda. The first thing is I want to shout out someone who I have only kind of recently become friends with. And the reason I want to shout her out is because she did that little thing I've been telling you guys about, which is she left a review and she rated the Dear God, I'm Sad podcast. And so my girl Sam said, Yes, Gabby, this is a wonderful podcast. If you're needing comfort or just a podcast that you can relate, this is it. I'm so proud of you, Gabby. And that just means the world. I adore Sam. She has a podcast and a community of her own called the Stuttering Christian Podcast. Sam is a person who has a stutter, and she actually is going to be on the podcast in a few weeks. Her episode is going to drop in a few weeks. And she's just so strong and resilient and 
She's funny. I love a strong and funny woman. And I really just adore her friendship. She has been one of the people that have supported me from the very beginning of starting Dear God, I'm Sad, which always means so much to me. So, Sam, I love you. Thank you so much for all your support. Thank you so much for your kind review. Thank you so much for your kind rating. And we'll talk soon. So today for our little intro moment, because we have some time, I'm going to preface it with saying that I will be talking about my self-harming. So if you need to fast forward through this, please do. That's your trigger warning. Um, I want to talk about boundaries and I'm going to tell you a story and then we're going to circle back to like the point. So I had recently, like a few weeks ago, had recently decided that I was going to stop lying to people whenever they asked about my scars that had to do with self-harming. They're very visible. People see them all the time. And my go-to for the past almost 10 years that self-harming has been a factor of my life, I have always just lied. Like I have always said, especially if it was like a newer scar, I have always just had lies lined up in my head about like what to say. Like uh, when I was playing soccer, I was like, oh, it's just a soccer accident. And people would be like, okay. Or say I got it from shaving or I, I fell or tripped or something. I don't know. Uh, I just always had a lie in my head. And so about like two weeks ago, I found myself lying to someone who is very, very, very close to me. Knows my past with self-harming. Knows my whole, I say my past, my present <laughs> with self-harming. Uh, knows my whole situation and uh, she asked me about some scars and I just lied and it was right after that I just felt it was like the first time that I actually felt bad about lying (laughs) okay that sounded bad but you know what I mean of like it was really because before it would just be like I lied we move on I don't think about it but it was a moment where I was like I don't want to lie to people I adore in love anymore I really don't. I don't want to hide this from people. And it's kind of twofolded of like one side. It's kind of like, I don't want to lie about this to people I love because like you don't lie to people you love. So much of a relationship is just trust. And so much of a relationship is just being able to be who you are to that person. And I think it's one of those kind of unspoken rule that like if we are close and we are best friends or we are family members, like we just tell the truth. We don't lie to each other. We just trust each other. We're honest with each other. So there's that side of it of like, I just don't want to lie to people that I love. (laughs) I just don't, I don't want to. It's not kind. It's not, it's not fair to an extent. And then the other side of that is like, I have gotten to a point in my life where I want to show up in this space and in this world exactly how I am. I think I owe it to myself to be able to live truthfully and to show up in spaces exactly who I am, not like having to pretend, not having to hide, not having to do this, that, or the other, just being Gabby. And a part of being Gabby is that, yes, I have scars on my body that were inflicted by my own hand. And that, yes, this is something that I still struggle with 10 years later. And like, yes, this is just a part of my life experience. And so I want to show up in this way fully me. I think I owe myself that. I think I deserve that. And so I had made that decision a few weeks ago where I was like, okay, like I'm just going to stop lying because I get to show up in this world the way that I am. And I don't want to lie to people anymore. I don't want, I don't want to. So all that to say, this past weekend I was visiting a friend and 
he noticed one of my scars. And he was like, what is that from? And I said, oh, I just had a really bad day. And so it was just a self-harm scar. And literally the whole interaction was me saying that and then him being like, oh, okay. And then immediately changed the subject. We started talking about like food. Like we were laughing within 30 seconds later after having that interaction. But I found myself after that interaction so in my head. I like I was so not present or so not fully present for the next like hour because in my head I just kept being like, oh, my God, should I have lied? Oh, my God, what is he thinking about? Oh, my God, did I make him uncomfortable? Oh, my God, I hope he doesn't worry about me. Oh, my God, like (laughs) all these different things. And at some point I was like, maybe I just should have freaking lied. Maybe I shouldn't have said anything. Maybe I should have just lied. So all of this is coming to a conversation I'd love to have with you regarding boundaries because it's like on one side, a boundary that I have put up with my friends and that I've put up with like people who know me and love me is that like my self-harming is not something you check in about. Like my self-harming is absolutely not something that like you go like, oh, how's school or how are your parents or how is work? Self-harming is not one of those things that you check in with me about. Like, you do not come up to me and go, like, how's the self-harming going? Like, that was just a – it had happened – when I first told people and was telling people that I was, like, struggling with this, that was something that, like, people would do. And it was out of kindness. It was fully, fully out of kindness. It was out of them just wanting to check in because they know I'm having a hard time. In the same way that they were checking in about, like, how is school going? I know it's been hard. How is making friends going? I know that's been hard. Like, they were just checking in as like a kind way, but I put up the boundary of like, this can't, like that's triggering. This is not helpful. This is something that I will be upset with you about if you bring it up to me in this way. So don't, but we can talk about it. If you are asking questions, we can talk about it. If you know someone else who is struggling and you want my perspective on it, or we can talk about it. If you're like worried about me, if you notice that I'm in a depressive episode and you notice that there are new scars or something like you can, that's, if there's a purpose to it, yes. Check in with me. If you have a question, if you're really worried about me, we can talk about it. Other than that, this is absolutely not a thing to bring up. And so that's a boundary. And I think that's a healthy boundary. And I think that's a boundary that makes sense. However, this, so it comes back to this thing about like, considering boundaries of in my relationships of like okay well if I'm asking them not to bring it up maybe I shouldn't just say it like maybe like in my being a hypocrite and like say and just saying like oh yeah this from self-harm and then expecting them not to follow up with questions or like not to bring it up I don't know that's like one thing on my mind and then the other thing on my mind is just like emotional boundaries of like me and my friend did not have not talked about that conversation at all but is it unkind of me to say that to tell like to tell someone that a scar is from self-harming and being honest with them because then I worry that they're worried because then I'm worried that like they're also spiraling in their head and they're like oh my god is she okay is this a new scar is like should I like tell her mom what should I should I tell our other friend who was there like That feels unkind to me as well of like knowing that someone's probably going to worry about me and that I can avoid that worry by just not telling the truth. And so that's something I've been thinking about a lot. Like, is it unkind of me to tell the truth if I know that this person is going to worry or is it more unkind of me to lie to this person who loves me and who blindly trusts that I'm 
tell them the truth because we're best friends and that's what you do. You tell your best friends the truth. The other side of that too is that like, I mean, I, it's also like not super comfortable for me either because then I'm also just spiraling for like an hour, two hours in my head. I'm like, okay, well, is it even worth saying anything at that point if I'm, if I'm worried about them being worried or if they are worried because I told them the truth is like, is it just better for everyone if I just don't tell the truth? And so that's something that's been on my mind a lot. It's just a double-edged sword. I don't know if that was the right metaphor, but that's how it feels. It feels like a lose-lose. That's what I mean. It feels like a lose-lose. Like there's the pro of like telling someone the truth and not lying to someone you love and being able to be yourself and being honest with them and them knowing who you are and you not hiding anything from them. Because I, don't, I also don't think my friends want me to hide this from them. I don't think they want me to lie to them. I don't think, I don't, uh, I don't know. But then the other side of it is like, okay, but then I tell the truth and then what? Like, what are they going to be? That's okay. That's the other part too that I was thinking about. Like, is it unkind of me to say something about myself harming when the person who is hearing the side of it, like in this instance, my, my best friend, is it unkind for me to say something when he can't do anything about it? You know, like, what is he going to do? Take the scar away? Like, what is he going to do? Like, tell my mom, like, I, there's nothing for him to do. Like, he just has to sit in that. I just, I don't know. I don't know. So all that to say, I think the conclusion I've made in the way that I'm going to continue to move through this world (laughs) is I think I'm going to continue to try to tell the truth. And I think with that, I have to come to a point emotionally and mentally to be okay with maybe someone circling back and asking me about it later. Because maybe that's a little too harsh that I'm like, yeah, I self-harmed. Leave me alone. <laughs> you know, like I, I don't know. I just don't think I don't think that's rational. I don't think that's kind. I don't think that's uh, something fair to expect from people who love me. I don't know if you listened to the episode where it's me preaching and the whole premise of that episode was about the lies that just consume you when you're going through a mental health challenge in the church and you're hiding it from people. But I think back to that message a lot and like lying just never is better. That might not be true. Lying is extremely rarely better. I don't want to say never because I feel like that's too much of an absolute and I try not to speak in those. But I have not, let me say, I have not been in a position where lying was better. Lying chips away at your heart and your mind. And at some point, you're going to look down and see pieces of yourself construed on the floor. And you're going to try to piece yourself back together, but it won't be the same. And I just don't want that for my life. I don't want that for my life. I don't want that for my relationships. I don't want that for my faith. I just don't, I don't want that. And so I think I'm going to tell the truth. And also figure out a way to not spiral. (laughs) (laughs) if you guys have any thoughts I mean I always want you guys to reach out to me but if you have any thoughts or anything or just want to talk to me about this let's let's talk about it let's definitely talk about it and if you're someone whose mental health challenge shows up in a physical way where people have asked you about it uh, I would love to know how you navigate these waters and what boundaries you've set up. Because my ultimate goal is just to exist in this world where I can be myself, where I can be easily loved, where I can easily love, 
in where my relationships, be it romantic, familial, friendly, where those relationships can thrive and be healthy and be okay. Because I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want to be unkind. And I don't want people to worry about me. And I don't want to be a vessel for stress. And I want to show up exactly who I am and how I am. So yeah. So let's get to the episode. This is my conversation with Maddie. She is brilliant. She is beautiful. If you see the highlights on Instagram, you'll see that she's literally gorgeous. <laughs> and she is very vulnerable and wise, and I appreciate her. So thank you, Maddie, for coming on the Dear God, I'm Sad podcast. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk soon. Well, Maddie, welcome to Dear God, I'm Sad. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So let's start from the beginning. What role did mental illness or mental health play in your life growing up? Sure. Um, I am the eldest in my family. And so to a big extent, I was sort of, yeah, the first one kind of going through mental health challenges and it was all a bit new to my parents. Um, They, yeah, we weren't a family that, I mean, family of three girls, so we we did, I guess, talk about feelings a lot, but it wasn't necessarily like an understanding of, hey, sometimes you're going to feel sad for no reason or, or that sort of thing. Um, but I was a really anxious kid from as long as I can remember back. Um, my parents actually sent me to a psychologist when I was, I think, six years old because um, we were going through some really big changes as a family. We were going to move overseas as missionaries and that was just a lot for my little brain to handle and all the unknown. <laughs> and so, yeah, they they sent me there. Obviously, they recognized that something was, you know, a little wrong more than just the normal um, kids worrying about things. Uh, and I've been seeing a psychologist on and off, um, yeah, really since then, uh, and counsellors and, and different people over the years. Uh, but it wasn't really until high school and those later years that yeah mental illness really sort of took a grip on me and and worsened um but yeah that was yeah growing up just not really knowing how to explain it to my parents was sort of my experience yeah 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 and so since you moved to be missionaries I'm gonna assume that (laughs) religion played a really big role in your life growing up too? Yeah, it did. We we became missionaries through OM. They have these ships people live on board and basically just sail around the world bringing yeah, practical help and knowledge through the books that we'd sell and resources and, and programs that we'd run. So I was, it was just before I turned two that we went on board. Um, wow. But the second stint was, was later when I was uh, six and that's that's when the anxiety came. But, yeah, I grew up in that really closed environment um, where everyone I lived with and ate with and went to school with all knew God and loved God. Um, the people on board were from 52 different countries. So it was this really beautiful picture of kind of what the kingdom of God is like, just these people from different backgrounds and ethnicities and cultures and languages uh, all just yeah, being unified by this by this one thing. So I yeah. had a really positive experience of um, religion, of, of Christianity growing up. Um, I really appreciated that upbringing, but 
It definitely mm-hmm. set me up for some culture shock when I moved back to Australia uh, when I was 11. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you were like a missionary slash on this boat from the age of two to 11? Yeah. We had a short stint when I was six um, back in Australia when my younger sisters were born. Um, but other than that, it was all I had known. I didn't really feel Australian. Wow. Um, and yeah. So it was, it was pretty cool. Um, we spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia and Africa and um, I really opened my eyes to what, yeah, what suffering is like in different parts of the world and also um, how big a role God plays in, in our lives and, and really seeing miracles and seeing those things that you don't often see. I don't know, living in Australia and I'd assume living in the US and there's sort of more western cultures um it's not quite as in your face um yeah 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 so I've found you Maddie through something called anxious faith mm. um and which I adore and love and like <laughs> think you guys are doing such incredible work so could you explain to me what anxious faith is and then what your role is there sure yeah um anxious faith is this great uh, ministry run by Our Daily Bread Ministries. Um, so that's that's a global name. You might have heard of it. Uh, and we're the team in Australia. Um, and it was born out of uh, my boss, James. His He and his family have had a lot of experiences firsthand with mental illness. And one of the prevalent experiences was people just not getting it, um, especially within the church and people, you know, either telling them, it's a sin, you need to overcome it or just pray about it. Um, just really not quite grasping the, the complexity of these, of these things. And so, yeah, James, through those experiences went, oh, I, I don't want other people to feel alone. I, the church needs to hear these stories um, of people of faith struggling um, and people who struggle need to know they're not alone. So, yeah, basically it started off as a podcast. Um, James was already working with Our Daily Bread. He started this podcast in 2021 and uh, it was just meant to be five episodes and that was it, but it did really well. And so the ministry decided to, yeah, really back it. Um, and they employed myself and one other person and together we run, it's no longer just a podcast, it's also weekly blog and really just trying to build community around these these discussions of faith and mental illness and how the two can interplay. Um, and what I do there is I'm, I'm the writer and the editor. So anything you see up um, online, on socials, on the website um, has come through me. I get to find people and share their stories um, and then write a bit of my own. So it's really mm. the dream job. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds amazing. What would you say is like, I don't, I mean, I guess the right, the best word for it is goal, but I almost want to say more so like, what is the mission of Anxious Faith and what is y'all's hope for its future? Like what's the, what's almost like the aim for it? If that makes sense. Mm. Um, well, speaking from my perspective, um, I think the aim is, is just that it, it would grow and reach whoever it needs to Um not to be about the numbers or anything like that, but just to know yeah. that it's making a real difference. Um, we we have sort of three main target audiences, and the first is is obviously the people who struggle themselves. Um, we want them to see 
their stories mirrored in other people's. We want them to hear people say, hey, there is nothing wrong with your faith if you're anxious or depressed or, you know. Um, So that's our first sort of group. The second one is people who don't have any experience of mental illness personally, but they might have a friend or a family member or someone in their church. And we want them to listen or to read and to kind of, yeah, just develop this understanding of, oh, that's what it must feel like or you know, um, so really more of that educational side, which we've already had great feedback from people saying, hey, I, I didn't get it before and now I think I'm starting to understand. Um, yeah. And then the third group are people who don't even know God yet, um, who have this idea of churches that um, or church community that they shy away from these topics. And we're just wanting to show them that, hey, we are engaging. We're here to have these conversations. Um, and hopefully that encourages them to yeah, just to find out what we're about. Mm, too good. <laughs> so let's talk about you, Maddie. Could you just walk me through kind of like your story, your journey with your mental health and mental health challenges, however long it's relevant to you or however much you would like to share? Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, so like I said earlier, the the real sort of mental health challenges came um, in those later years of high school. Uh, by that point, my family had already moved, um, I think it was 11 times. It, we had a lot of instability. Um, and oh, wow. I mean, I loved that childhood on on board, on the ship, but um, it was huge whiplash moving back to a culture that very much sort of rejected God um, and didn't see miracles happening and uh, kind of, yeah, got bullied for being a bit weird and <laughs> being quite Mm. sheltered um Mm. so I guess it was all sort of building and this sense of not really knowing yeah who I was or what I was meant to be doing um life felt much more complicated back in Australia and when when I hit those later years of high school it was just sort of a uh boiling point of all these different things happening at the time um I first ever boyfriend had broken up with me and I thought I was going to marry him. So that was really hard. Um, my parents yeah. were going through problems in their marriage uh, that, yeah, meant we we left the church that we were at, um, just sort of drifting for a while. Um, school was getting harder. And I just, I think it was the depression that that hit first. I I couldn't even explain at the time. I didn't realize it was depression, but I had no energy for things. Um, I, yeah, I didn't want to see friends. I, I stopped. Um, I'd always loved sport. I stopped running and, and, um, competing in those sports and yeah, it just kind of felt like my world shrank and that it, uh, it just very much became internalized. There was so much happening inside my head, but I didn't really know how to express it. Um, and my grades suffered and yeah, friendships, uh, and I think through all of that, all of these things that I'd built my identity in that I, you know, wanted to be the good student and the good daughter and the girl with this boyfriend, all these things were suddenly stripped away and I was kind of left drifting and not knowing who I was. And through all of that, I I was really close to God. It was this strange experience where the the less I felt like being a part of everything else, um, the, the more like the darker my thoughts were, the more I just had this deep need for God and that I knew mm. I needed him. It was like, 
so much is going on that I don't understand, but recognizing, okay, God is the only one who kind of can see inside my head right now. And that's actually a really comforting thought because I don't know how to explain all this. So yeah, the depression kind of got worse. I don't think I initiated the conversations with my parents. I think they came to me and said, look, what is happening? You know, you're, you're not yourself. I think for a while, they'd probably just thought I was just going through hormonal teenager changes or the breakup or whatever, being negative about things. But they definitely saw that change in me over time. Um, And they took me to see a psychologist uh, and a person who, yeah, who kind of had to ask me, have you had thoughts about ending your life? Um, And I had to be honest and say, yeah, I have. Because for me, when I got to those dark places, which was often at nighttime, I had these thoughts that that the world would be a lot simpler if I wasn't there. Um, Mm. I felt like I was letting people down uh, because I didn't have energy to be a good friend or I didn't want to play with my younger sisters. Um, It just felt like this big disappointment. So to me, the idea of taking my life would mean like it felt like this selfless act, like, okay, everyone would be free of me. They wouldn't have to worry. My parents wouldn't have to watch me, you know, go through all of this. Yeah. So I would journal and sort of write as though someone's going to read this after I'm gone. And I kind of want Mm. to make a little bit of sense of what I'm feeling right now. So that if I do make that decision, yeah, there's, there's like the paper trail. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So Seeing the psychologist, honestly, it didn't really help um, because I think once I was able to get out of the house and and get to their office, I was really good at pretending that I was fine and really good at tricking myself that, oh, maybe I am because those thoughts often just came out at nighttime. And so during the day, sometimes I was was okay or I just didn't want people to worry. I I didn't understand the system. I didn't know if I really admit how bad it is in my head one, are they going to be able to do anything? And and two, are they going to send me to a mental institu- institution? You know, like what what's the next step? So, yeah, it got to the point where one day, like I'd heard about people um, self-harming, like cutting themselves, and um, I had very little knowledge of, of how you'd even do that or, or why. Um, I'd oh, always yeah. viewed it as this like really dramatic thing that teenage girls do in the movies and I didn't want to (laughs) be a cliche uh but there was yeah there was just this day where I remember everything was too much in my head and I I just like physically needed to express it I I couldn't think of a way to yeah just to like sort it all out um to be okay so um I decided to to cut myself and that kind of just focused all my attention on that one thing, on that pain, even though it was sort of numb, it kind of helped quiet all the thoughts. And yeah, after that, that became a real temptation for me that when it all got too much, I just wanted to do that again. But I guess you could say, yeah, maybe I wanted, maybe I wanted somebody to notice because I I didn't exactly hide it. It was on my hand. And so my mum did notice and yeah, she was really sad, but I think that allowed her to see just the depth of, of what I was going through. Yeah. And, and really through all of that, there was no quick fix it. Uh, I was going to church and people were trying to pray for me and, you know, there'd be particular worship nights where 
like the music would be just right and he'd be like oh the holy spirit's here because people are crying and and you'd go up the front and someone would pray for you and you'd be like oh okay cool uh, depression depression is gone um moving on i yeah i'm all good now uh but then it would it would come back like it it, it just didn't solve it so yeah. what i found was really just this kind of slow holistic approach where my parents um they were really they were patient with me but they also didn't just let me sort of wallow in this depression they really wanted to see me get better um so they said look even when you don't feel like it we want you to come to family things um you're gonna you're gonna come and exercise my dad um he was really into paddle skiing at the time and he bought me one and he said we're going to go down every week and and yeah. you know you don't have to talk it was just this activity that would uh yeah get me active and moving again um my mum said I'm going to help like figure out what you can eat because I'd been sort of struggling with with that and so she made sure I got like nutrition and kind of kept me accountable to eating the right foods um and then I had this best friend who not that we ever really talked about this depression, but we sort of knew it was there and she just let it sit between us really beautifully. Like she didn't push me on it. She just um, was okay being my friends in the midst of that, even when I wasn't, <laughs> wasn't very fun to be around. We would just paint or, or go on walks or, yeah, she was very gracious with me. Um, and I think all of those things helped um, and then obviously journeying that through with God as well, asking him those questions, why, um, what's wrong with me, where are you in this? Um, yeah. Mm. Something you kind of said early on in your story was that you had this experience with God that you were kind of like, I know that God understands what's going on in my brain and like kind of God being essentially the only one. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't mean to make you psychoanalyze yourself, <laughs> but I feel like for most people who, especially most Christians who have struggled with mental illness or mental health challenges, it takes a long time for them to get to a point where they understand that like God is like close and near and like with us through it. So I just wonder for you, do you know – maybe like why or how you had kind of this innate understanding already that like God was with you and here and it didn't necessarily take time to get there? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think my early relationship with God really set the foundation for how I viewed him in this time because sure. he'd always just been this yeah, such a big figure in my life. I was blessed to kind of have all these beautiful examples of people's faith all around me and of what God was doing and, yeah, from a really young age. And so I felt really close to God. And I think through, you know, moving all those times and often being the new kid or feeling alone quite a lot um, or being bullied, I think God was always just that, okay, but he's here. Mm. And even though in in that depression I felt very numb, I I also when I prayed, God just like I want to feel you give me give me peace. He he would, mm -hmm. and not always. There were definitely times where 
thought, well, maybe God's left me or um, have I made him upset? Like, why is this happening? But for the most part, it really was just, yeah, if I asked him to be there, I, I just trusted that he was, even when I couldn't feel it, I knew he was, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 totally. You kind of talk about it or have talked about it a little bit and something I hear a lot in your story is that you kind of have this sense of um, guilt of being kind of a burden or not being Mm. um, fully, not living fully into the potential of a friend or a family member that like you were before you could have, you could be. so with that, how was your sense of self-worth or sense of identity impacted by your suffering in that time, but also in general, any other time that your mental health challenges have flared up, um, especially as a Christian? Mm. Um, yeah, my self-worth took a big, big hit. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, all of those things that I'd built my identity around, um, I'd always been the academic kid, the sporty kid. Um musical like I kind of in this overachiever or at least I tried to be because I I cottoned on really early that that's like my parents were really proud and they'd make a big deal when I did well and I I really wanted that approval um so when I couldn't live up to that uh especially knowing that I guess like to an extent God had given me these gifts like I've always loved writing and I've always acknowledged I think that comes from God and so when when I felt like I wasn't being a good steward of that, mm. yeah, that's that's really when I felt like, oh, maybe I'm even disappointing God because how am I going to be useful to him? How can I show people how good God is in my life if I'm just over here being depressed? Like that's not a very good poster card for being a Christian um, and yeah. I don't have the the energy or the, or the confidence to go and tell people about God at school. Um, I've, I've got like one friend, so it, it just yeah. sort of felt like what what's my purpose? Like I'm kind of a bit useless to God and to people at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I don't want to say funny, but I mean <laughs> kind of funny because I, when I was first listening to um, the episode of Anxious Faith where it essentially features like you and your story mm-hmm. um and hearing it again and hearing you talk now I'm kind of I like remember thinking that our stories sounded so similar to me and oh, like really? I remember feeling like a lot of what you're feeling and what you've experienced I've felt and experienced mm-hmm. as well because for me yeah. that self-worth piece is like very similar to mine in the sense of I experienced a ton of guilt and like Mm. a ton of blame and like put on myself, not other people putting it on me, but me being like, am I even worthy of being called a Christian anymore? Like, am I even a good daughter or sister anymore? And I've always grew up as a perfectionist. Like that was (laughs) kind of my bag, like an overachiever perfectionist. Yep. But mental illness and mental health challenges are so like crippling that even if you were at some point overachiever or you were a perfectionist or you were like this humongous academic or this humongous athlete at your school to some degree and for amount, a certain amount of time, it like feels like it takes that away. Like you yeah. just don't have – you literally don't have the energy or you don't have the mental capacity or you just 
need more help than you did before. Yeah. And I think that's part of the suffering you experience from mental health challenges and mental illnesses is so much of it takes away mm-hmm. that you have to like accept at some point or you have to like figure out how to not let it take away or it's just like maneuvering this new terrain yeah. that you just never have had to before. And so I really I hear you with like you performed well before and then during it's like okay well I'm kind of falling short so where is my worth now just strips it all away Mm. yeah it's just so again tricky to maneuver and it's almost like a double displacement of your brain having to deal with this new sense of self and like you and and because it's all internal it's like you kind of have this guilt of, well, I'm the only one who can fix it. I'm the only one who can get my grades yeah. back up or be sporty again or any of these things. So it's all on me. Um, yeah. And I think people around you can kind of put that pressure on um, even unknowingly because they just want they want to see you doing well. Um, and that comes mm-hmm. out of love, but they when they're not in it, it's hard to wrap their heads around, well, why can't you just go for a run? Why can't you just like sit down, write the essay? Yeah. Um, yeah, so no, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> the same thing with like, um, I was talking to someone the other day and she had suffered pretty severely with eating disorders and mm. specifically with anorexia. Um, and something she kept hearing from her family was like, just eat, just eat the food. Like yeah. it's in front of you, like you're stopping yourself. And she's like, no, it's not that. That's like not what's happening. Mm. Um and so it is a really isolate. It can be a really isolating experience too. Of like, as much as you try to explain it to people, and as much as as much as they try to understand and they listen to you, it's sometimes at some point it's just kind of like it's like they're just not going to get it because they're not in your brain. Yeah, they might not have experienced the same thing. Yeah, I, I definitely experienced. Yeah, people just not getting it. Um, yeah. And especially at church, because mm. I think I hadn't, I hadn't really known anyone around me to be depressed, or at least not that I'd noticed, or not that they'd shared. But you'd get these, you yeah. know, people giving their testimony every now and then that they'd be like, "Oh, I was depressed ten years ago," and I always just wanted to hear what's what's the story in the middle. Like, I get that it's yes. all happy ending now, but I'm in it, and I want to know. <laughs> what hope is there for me now and so I think people really at church especially had a hard time wrapping their heads around that this was just something that happened I don't know if it's brain chemistry or genetics or you know environmental factors all these things um, that just happened it wasn't that I rejected God and then this was the the culprit and I think people in churches who haven't experienced this they want to they want to believe that people with mental illness caused it um, that sounds terrible, yeah. but it's almost like, well, they'll feel, well, I'm safe. I'm immune from depression because I'm close to God. So I want to believe that this person who's depressed isn't because then that fits in with like that makes yeah. me feel comfortable and safe. Um, and I was trying to tell people, you know, who were praying over me, like pray that Maddie comes back to God. And I was like, I- I'm right here with him. Like I never <laughs> left. Yeah. Um, I'm crying out to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I super identify with that um, testimony piece too of like, I grew up in pretty evangelical circles and the communication and the interpretation of suffering was a lot like on the back end of 
these people telling their stories, like you said, would be like, I like drank myself to death or yeah, like I yeah. smoked all the time and <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Drugs. I sought validation from, yeah, <laughs> sought, sought validation from boys and like mm. whatever. And then they would keep talking and the end of the story would go to along the lines of like, but then I found God and now yeah. everything's fine. Yeah. <laughs> now I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't seek validation from boys and I mm-hmm. don't do this or that. And <laughs> I think people's stories and testimonies are amazing, obviously. But I also think that a lot of church and a lot of ministry is not revealing hardship in real time mm-hmm. um, because it can be so performative. And yeah. I think I felt like for a long time with my own story that it was almost like my testimony was like a tool to use to like help people mm. come to church or yeah. come like in like to learn about Jesus. And if that's like what happens as like a kind of collateral, awesome. Like I would I hope that my story does some good in that yeah. way. But I think I threw my suffering a part of me was just like waiting. I was like, okay, when do I get to like tell this over a campfire at camp and during testimony yeah. night, you know? And like Yeah, what's the point to it all? <laughs> Yeah. And it's, uh, I think it almost like makes you disassociate from your suffering a little bit too of like, I can use this someday as a story. So like, let's, uh, let's wrap it up. God. <laughs> yeah, like, yep. I'm, I got I'm the ready point. to get to the I other side. My <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just, I wish I had, I wish I had taken the time to learn what it meant in the midst of my suffering mm-hmm. at that time, instead of just kind of like sitting and just waiting to be able to use this to save other yeah. save quote unquote other people <laughs> wow. but it's also that's all that was like modeled to us so it's kind of like what else was no, no, definitely and I think that a lot of churches have this warped view of suffering I mean especially mm-hmm. like you hear it in the prosperity gospel but yeah a lot of Christians yeah they want to believe that you you follow God you you obey him and life is good he blesses you um but we don't yeah. we don't see that in the bible we see every one of the disciples being persecuted and killed and yeah nailed to a cross upside down um beheaded like it's not a picture of hey follow me and everything's okay um yeah and yeah. so i think that yeah we do put this pressure on well what's the ending what's the when's the end of the suffering um when will your depression be like completely behind you and Although like I'm in a place now where to an extent it's it's not part of my daily life, I'm very aware that I am susceptible to that and that it's something that I will carry, not because I want to, but because I want to be wise in not being naive that it might not come back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like yeah. even last year I fell into depression for a few months. And so I'm, yeah, as much as it's like, this great neat little story that you want to pack up and put in the past. It's it's not that simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's Gabby, and I'm popping in with a mid-episode reminder. And wait, before you hit that fast-forward button, you want to hear this. I promise you want to hear this. So like I was saying, I'm popping in to remind you to leave a rating and a review for two reasons. There's two reasons you want to do this right now. The first one is that if you rate the show and leave a review, I will shout you out in the next episode's intro. I will say your name, I will read what you reviewed, and I will say a few nice things about you. But the second reason you want to do this right now, and I think the more compelling reason, is because you will get free Dear God, I'm Sad merch. 
All you have to do is make sure that you follow the Dear God, I'm Sad Instagram at Dear God underscore I'm Sad. I'll search your name and my followers and I'll DM you asking for your address. I promise I won't use that for any other reason. And that's it. All you have to do is rate the show, leave a review, follow the Instagram. And one, you get publicly nice things said about you. And two, you get free stuff. It's a win, 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 win. Okay. I love you. Enjoy the rest of the episode. In your story, something you are pretty open about is you considering taking your own life. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if there was a moment or maybe a thing or a thought, what also you're again, you're free, free to say like, I don't want to answer that because this (laughs) is kind of like a in-depth question, like a pretty personal question. But what was the thing that kept you alive? I I just sometimes Mm -hmm. when I hear about people who are, um, who have been considering suicide, there's seems to be like something or someone or a thought that kind of saves them Mm. to an extent. And so I wonder for you, if there's something in your story that kept you from that fatal decision? Yeah, I'd say there were probably two things. One was kind of just felt like divine intervention. There was this one afternoon after school where I must have had a really bad day and everything had been building. I'd already been thinking about, you know, suicide. I'd been like too scared to Google how to do it on my computer because I knew that the school had this software and they would, um, they, you know, check for those things. So the only thing I could think of was um, to just step out onto the road. We lived on a really busy road. So this one day after school, got off the bus and was walking up the hill. My sisters would like run off up the hill with all their energy um, ahead of me. And I thought, okay, once they do that, I'll, um, yeah, I'll just, I'll just step out. It'll look like an accident. That way no one's hurt. No one's angry at me. It's no one's mm-hmm. fault. But this gets to end. But this one afternoon of all the days when I was standing at the edge of the road, just like crying and thinking about this, like, do I have the guts to do it? I looked up the hill and my youngest sister, who was probably only maybe like seven or eight at the time, um, she was standing there just looking at me. And I I couldn't figure out why. I was like, why is she? Okay, just go home. Like, that's what you normally yeah. do. But she she was just standing there and um, I realized that of all the days she'd chosen, this is the one day she'd decided to obey my parents. They wanted me to cross the road with her, hold her hand because it was a busy road and she decided that this was the day <laughs> that she was going to listen. So she just stood there like waiting to hold my hand and so on that particular day it was very much this I don't know what would have happened if she, if she hadn't been there watching me. Um, but yeah, I wow. felt like, okay, my little sister needs me. So I went up the hill, crossed, crossed the road with her. Yeah, cried and cried and cried. Yeah. So that was one moment where I'd come really close. But I guess um, beyond that, because I, I, didn't, I didn't really try again. I would think about it a lot. It was like a comforting thought that there is an escape if I want it. But probably yeah. the, the thing that stopped me then was almost just this sense that, oh, but it's, it's not over yet. And I haven't lived life. Like I, I was like, there's so many things I want to do. I, I kind of want to know yeah. what it's like to, to get married. And like as much as I didn't feel hope for my situation then, I could kind of see this future like maybe in 10 years, like I'll be living this great life and I don't want to rob myself, my future self of that as yeah. much as I can't see it now. But yeah, that was sort of the thought. 
and hey, 10 years later, I'm, I'm here and I am married and I got to know what that's like. Woohoo! So, <laughs> we love love. Yeah. And life. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's an incredible story. And it's, I have talked about this on my podcast slash in real life too, a thousand times, but I am always so amazed by how God just like uses people so mm. much in our lives and like there's been so many moments in my life where it's just so clear that like God was pushing that person towards me or pushing that person to say this thing or like intervene in some way and it just it's so like humanity is such an illustration of God's faithfulness and I just Mm -hmm. like will never get over that and it's evident in your story especially with your parents and your friend who would like paint with you and stuff that's just that's too sweet too good (laughs) Yeah. What do you know or understand or experience about God now that you maybe like didn't know or understand or experience about God before the onset of your mental health challenges? I think the biggest difference now is understanding like truly, I wouldn't say fully, I don't think I'll ever fully understand it, but knowing that God loves me without doing all these things for him Um, Mm, because it's so simple. Um, You hear that all the time, like we're saved by grace um, and we all all kind of get that on this cognitive level but really truly understanding that and and believing that. I think I'd always, always, yeah, known that but it was like, yes, I'm saved by grace but I'm also Mm. this really great daughter and I tell people about Jesus and I'm like, I'm all these things. And I I tried, you know, I'm leading a youth group and this and that. And so when all of that was stripped away and I I felt like I couldn't do anything to God, I was, I was not useful for him. And he still loved me and pursued me and spent time with me. I think now I have this, this kind of bigger understanding of the grace of the fact that, yeah, if if I found, spent my whole life running from God, he'd still love me just the same. It's this weird, like mm. it, it takes the pressure off. Um, I mean, I want to serve God and, and do what I can for him, but when mental illness does strike and I can't get out of bed and I can't be what I think people need me to be, knowing that is, yeah, really comforting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you consider yourself to be on like this is like such an annoying way to put it but on (laughs) the quote-unquote other side of the worst of your suffering from your mental health challenges or would you say you're still like in the throes of it in the midst of it and if you are if you would consider yourself on the other side what would you consider have gotten you to that other side Mm -hmm. and then if you're still in the midst of it what are you doing now through it Mm. Yes, I would say that I'm past the worst of it. Um, that's not to say that the future won't hold more mental illness struggles yeah. and suffering um, yeah. by no means. But uh, definitely I'm, I feel like I'm past that vulnerability of, of feeling unsafe with myself. And, um, for example, the things like the, the self-harm that I was into back then that was helping me cope, or at least that I thought it was, that was like a temptation that I just, my mom kept me accountable and I'd, I'd still do it sometimes. And then I'd, you know, I'd feel ashamed, but it was like over yeah. time, the longer I could leave between doing it, uh, 
the easier it got. And I think that's like with any um, addiction, any, you know, people's stories you hear. So I think that now, like, I haven't had that thought for for a long time. Um, so I mm. feel like I'm, I'm past that in a sense. But like I, I said before, I still, I was really depressed last year. Um, I'd just gone through, we just moved into state, just gotten married, like it was a lot of change, didn't have a home of our own and was a lot to cope with. Um, I hated my job. My husband's job didn't work out and we we're kind of just in this limbo and it felt really familiar and kind of scary to go, oh, I don't don't want to be back in that place but what was different this time was that um, I, I think through all the supports and through psychology and through medication at different points of time um, I've learned different strategies uh, I feel better equipped that when I do mm. find myself yeah feeling like there's no point to life or like I don't want to do anything I can speak the truth into that because I know I know that there's something more I know that this this will pass I know that God's there with me in it I know that my worth doesn't change um, if I can't be who I want to be um, for people. So, yeah, I would say that I'm, I'm past it, but I also acknowledge like I, I am sure it will be a struggle in the future and that's okay. Yeah, if I can be learning good coping mechanisms now and, and even just knowing the early warning signs so that if I do start to feel that way, I can say to my husband or you know, look, I'm, I'm really struggling. Yeah. 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 Like almost like catch it early. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a good, good and realistic spot to be in of past, maybe what you would have considered to be the worst of it, but understanding that life is weird and you never know what's going to happen next. You never Mm -hmm. know what life's going to throw at you next. But speaking of the future, what is your hope for the future of the church and its relationship to those who suffer from mental illnesses or mental health challenges? Yeah, I think it's a big one, but I I guess just the church, um, people in the church, having more compassion, um, just being educated, having understanding, um, even if they've never experienced it, recognizing that these people struggling are not, it's not punishment, it's not a sin, it's not something they've walked away from God. Um, And that's not to say that, you know, sin doesn't sort of cause heartache or cause things, but just I would love the church to, instead of just trying to fix it and pray over it, which which is great, prayer is is powerful, but also just to be able to sit with people in the mess, um, not to be like trying to carry them out of it, but just to Kind of like Job's friends when he was in his suffering, all they were doing was was saying, "Well, what did what did you do wrong? Um, how do we fix yeah, it?" Yeah. But what if they had just sat with him and been like, "Man, this sucks. I'm so sorry. Um, you're going through this." Yeah. No, I think again, this is another thing I've said a thousand times, but I think presence goes so far, mm-hmm. like so much further than I think we realize or consider it too, in the sense of how much it helps people who are suffering like in it with anything in any capacity and um that's my heart and hope for the church as well just like education and compassion Mm. uh because i think there's a lot of ministries and institutions and establishments that are missing one or the other or both (laughs) Um, and who mean well but Mm. it's just it's just we just need to do better and we haven't done that in a whole and to listen to the voices of people who have gone through it um, yeah, 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 100%. How's your relationship with God today, amateur mental health? <laughs> um, 
it, it's good. I I feel more of his presence in just like the really little things in life, um, mm. just in wanting to be content and experiencing his joy in these tiny little like I saw a caterpillar in my garden the other day and I was this, I was just so joyful about that. It was like, God, you're so cool. Um, and I get a lot <laughs> of those little moments and that's kind of nice to just be in this place where I can see God in in everything um, and appreciate that. And yeah, and I feel I feel close to him when I when I journal. That's something I've always loved writing mm-hmm. to God. Um, I don't yeah, do it yeah, enough. Yeah. And yeah, it's I mean, my relationship with God is not perfect. And I yeah, I need to give it give him more time. Um, but I also just know that he's yeah, he loves me now in this in this moment. So Yeah, a hundred percent. Well, we have come, we're coming to the <laughs> close of our conversation today, but I want to thank you so much before I ask you the last few questions okay. for being here and being so honest and vulnerable and open. It's, it's, you are one of few and hard to come by of someone <laughs> that's wise and has gone through so much and is so open and willing to share their stories. So thank you for thank you. this conversation so far. Um, so what's next for you? What's next for anxious faith? What's next for your personal life? that's appropriate to share. (laughs) Um, Oh, big questions. Um, I guess for anxious faith, like just wanting to, to grow it, to, to see more people Mm. finding it and hearing these stories, to have more people sharing their stories where we're always open for people to either, yeah, write to us or who want to be on the podcast. And yeah, in personal life, um, my husband and I are actually moving at the end of the year. So we've got more big change coming up. Yeah. We, we're going to do a bit of travel next year. I, cause I work remotely, he studies online. So take advantage of that flexibility before we kind of think about having kids. So that's kind of yeah. the next. Yeah. Oh, that's so exciting. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And where can people find you? What are your socials, websites? Um, yep. Probably the easiest to find me on Instagram. I'm Maddie Grace Hope. It's Maddie with double D and a Y. And my website and things are there too, maddiegracehope.com. Yeah. And Anxious Faith. Um, it's anxious underscore faith. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so cool. Okay. And last question. What's something you feel strongly about that most people are either indifferent about or feel the opposite of the way that you feel about it? Honestly, this one was a a hard one. (laughs) Kind of is a hard question, honestly. (laughs) Because I've got a lot of strong opinions, but they're not all (laughs) lighthearted. Yeah. Okay, I don't know how, like, controversial this is of a thing, but it's something that comes up with my husband and I a lot. Um, I'm a firm believer that tomato sauce – or I guess you guys call it ketchup, um, that that like only belongs next to some chips or maybe on a meat pie. But that's like the only two instances you should ever use it. Whereas my husband's like, eggs, steak. Yeah, like everything. (laughs) Okay, so maybe it is controversial. (laughs) I think, honestly, I think ketchup in general is kind of controversial because like I like ketchup fine, like a normal amount, I think. Mm -hmm. But my boyfriend hates it and thinks it's like the worst condiment and I'm kind of like I don't think that's that feels like too strong so to extreme care about. all or nothing yeah. yeah but I'm also partly laughing at your answer because that was so many like Australian terms <laughs> like, was it like chips fries oh is what fries we call it. okay and then you said meat pie oh yeah meat. you don't have I don't is that like oh. a patty like a burger no like a um like pastry in a in a circle like a small circle filled with like 
meat and gravy with a top on it. Like it's a it's a mini pie. Huh. I don't <laughs> They're amazing. I think I, it, maybe it's Australian. I didn't I'll have to look that up after this. This is my problem not growing up here. I, I forget what's <laughs> international or not. Yeah, no, you're fine. But yeah, I have never I've heard like of meat pies like on TV and like cartoons, but I've never like, That's so sad seen in real oh, life. They're actually really yeah. good. Okay, come visit okay, us. Well. No, literally, next time I'm it's in more Australia. more than just Vegemite. <laughs> That's so funny. I literally thought you were trying to say, like, a burger. And I was like, I don't think we call that meat pie. No, we have burgers, too. Don't worry. Do you think that ketchup belongs on that, too, or no? Oh, that's a really good question. I guess so. But, like, not okay. maybe, like, as a chut- like as a flavoring, a chutney, not just, like, squeezed over everything, which is what my husband okay. does. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well... That would be so interesting. I might have, I might like make this into this like part into like a reel and have people say what they think or if, if they've they had yeah. meat pie. <laughs> because I mean, I'm not like super, I don't really explore in like food. Like I just don't yeah care for food that much. Um, It's like something I eat for sustenance, not because I think it's like super good. Sure. So I mean, meat pies might be like, that would be something I wouldn't know about because I'm just kind of like, sure. I mean whatever i'd be interested food. to know if you're the only one or if everyone knows. <laughs> yeah. Dude, yeah me too um well maddie thank you so much for being here and thank you so much for answering my dm and <laughs> joining me today this conversation has been wonderful and you are extremely easy to talk to which i appreciate no thank you i love what you're doing so i'm really excited <laughs> to see where to god i'm sad ends up yeah thank you thank you <laughs>